0: I have Baylor's number, maybe I should, uh, you know, see if he wants to come. I remember wrapping up just our first set and like walking back to the green room, just seeing him picking with Cody Kilby and Ronnie McCurry backstage and it was like, oh man, Just got real.
1: (laughs) Hey everyone, this is Keith Billick. Big warm welcome to all you ladies and gentlemen, howdy friends and neighbors. I'm really happy to have you along For first-time listeners, welcome. This is the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, where we talk to professional banjo players about banjos, discuss banjo things every once in a while, maybe a banjo joke or two, basically just all the banjo stuff that you wish you could talk to your friends and family about. Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to support you, and we, we welcome you in. Speaking of supporting each other, I have two very generous supporters who are the sponsors of today's podcast. The first supporter is Tyler Stiegel, and he is a banjo player in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Tyler is a very active member of the Bluegrass community. He's actually a board member of uh, the Bluegrass Pride organization. And what they do is they encourage the involvement and acceptance of LGBT folks into the Bluegrass community. So great work, Tyler. Thanks for being involved in such a good cause. Uh, he also likes to promote the Father's Day festival, which is also out west in California. There, and he he highly recommends that everyone go to that. So I would like to someday. It's a bit it's a bit far of a distance for me to travel, but uh, you never know; it might happen. I'd love to I'd love to make it one of these days. So Tyler, thank you so much for your support. Uh, the next supporter is Jeremy Lebrun. And Jeremy basically just says That he lives somewhere He didn't say exactly where But um, it sounds remote He lives somewhere where there aren't too many banjo players Or other musicians for him to hang out with and play with So as sad as that is It it is good to know that Apparently the podcast is allowing him To make some sort of connection And and learn things about banjo That he can't get from um, other people in his community So thanks again to uh, both Tyler and Jeremy really appreciate your support. To all the rest of you, I mean, obviously, I got into the banjo podcasting business, because I knew I was going to strike it rich, right? But that hasn't quite happened. So so here's what we need to do. You all need to go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And that's how you become a supporter of, of an episode, just like Tyler and Jeremy both did for this one. And I really appreciate everyone's support. Once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and you will help feed a hungry family in Detroit, Michigan, or you'll at least help keep a banjo podcast going. If you're unable to support through Patreon at this time, the best other things you can do is subscribe on on your podcast app, rate it, five stars, of course. Share links to the shows on social media if you think others would enjoy it. And also tell the players if you run into them at concerts or whatnot, tell them that you that you enjoyed the episode that you heard. That really encourages them and lets them know that it was worth their time to to sit down for these interviews. I've already heard from a number of past guests on the podcast that they've encountered some of you listeners at their at their shows. And that's great. It's wonderful to give People like that, the thanks that they deserve for taking time out of their day to sit down with me and record these things. So that's how you can support the show. If you need to get a hold of me for any reason, questions, comments, feedback, concerns, anything like that, Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast at gmail.com is the way to do that. And I love hearing from all of you listeners today's episode is a double header and features two people who are both involved in the Billy Strings band. The first guest is the banjo player for the band named Billy Failing. Billy is a really talented guy, attended Berkeley and you'll hear all about his playing and anyone who who knows about the band called Billy Strings fronted by the guitar player Billy Strings knows what an intense challenge that must be to uh to be any of the bandmates charged with keeping up with that guy. It's a very high-energy show, um, very virtuosic instrumental performances, and Billy is is a very capable player, and it's, it's pretty amazing what he's able to do to keep up. Uh, the other guest is Andy Lytle. He's the sound engineer for Billy Strings. A lot of you know just through the types of questions that I ask some of the guests that I have an interest in sound production and that kind of thing and i like offering more points of view rather than just a banjo player's point of view i hope to try to maybe get some more of these down the road try to get different perspectives on banjo tone and what people can do when they're performing to help maximize and just really be at their best sound wise and I think Andy was able to provide some insight about that. So basically, they they don't appear at the same time. The interview with Billy Failing will happen first, but when you hear that end, make sure that you don't stop listening, because the interview with Andy will immediately follow that. So yeah, two for one here, episode on Picky Fingers. So like I said, first we have Billy Failing, the banjo player for Billy Strings. He's a very talented banjo player, extremely solid, can really hold it down with a bluegrass style, but can also get a bit crazier and a bit more progressive when he needs to. Really admire his playing and appreciate very much they took the time out of Billy Strings' very busy schedule to sit down and have this chat with me. Uh, I will say there is about half a second of adult language, so if you or anyone else listening with you is sensitive to that then here's your warning but other than that here it is enjoy the chat with billy failing and stay tuned for the chat with andy Lytle.
0: i grew up in portland oregon and um i guess i started playing banjo um just because my dad kind of tinkered around with banjos. And mm-hmm. What did he do, like a Scruggs-style player? He uh, he did mostly like Claw Hammer stuff, but also kind of like, you know, learned a little bit of the Scruggs roles and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so, you know, he was always kind of playing banjo music around the house, and um, he had a bunch of old vinyl of like the Earl Scruggs Review and yeah. like Bill Keith and... So you grew that was in your ear yeah. basically from the very beginning. Yeah, and I remember like kind of early on hearing like the Bela Fleck um the Bluegrass uh, Bluegrass Sessions album like the Tales from the Acoustic Planet.
1: Your your dad had that stuff too?
0: Yeah, he had that oh, uh, cool. that CD. Um so remember hearing that and you yeah, know thinking that was really cool and um he actually had this old It's like an old Vega, like build it yourself banjo. Okay. You know, that he made from like an old banjo kit or something like that back in the day. And like, it was the kind of thing where like the, it wasn't the best setup because like past the seventh fret, you couldn't really like. You know, it was all just kind of one note past a certain point. just well, like the, the action neck was, was
1: wonky or... Yeah, the,
0: like the neck was like super bowed or something like yeah. that, but... But you could make some noise on it and it sounded like a banjo. Yeah, <laughs> it was enough to learn the uh, the basics. But
1: so, what, so what age were you when you started learning the basics on that?
0: Maybe like 16 or 17. Okay. Um, I kind of went through like a phase when I was in high school of like playing a bunch of weird different instruments. Like I was into like bucket drumming and like tried out the trumpet for a little bit. And, um, I'd already been playing guitar at that point, but I think the, uh, it was kind of messing around on my dad's old, on that old banjo.
1: Yeah. Did Uh, you have anyone to play with?
0: Not really. I mean, I had like a rock band that I played with and like, I remember one, one or two times, like with that group kind of like noodling on acoustic instruments Okay, and I think I had a banjo for that, but it was mostly like a rock, a rock band. Yeah, mostly kind of like garage rock band. Yeah. So, was
1: there a moment that you that the light bulb went off where you you kind of realized that the banjo was your your true calling and this is what you wanted to concentrate on?
0: So, I went to college at University of Oregon for a couple of years, uh, but I remember like the first year, like maybe the first month that I was there, I, I ended up like. You know, I'd been kind of like messing around on the banjo for a couple years. Nothing like real serious, but I I remember I was like playing out in a field on campus one day and like this random dude came up to me and was like, stay right there. I'm going to grab my fiddle. (laughs) And like... And you had no idea this was a stranger? This was a complete stranger at the time, but he had actually uh, ended up being a really good fiddle player. It's my friend uh, Sam Weiss. And uh, um, he and I kind of like jammed out, okay. uh, and, you know, that that was kind of, like, the point when I started learning, like, actual tunes, and, like, you know, learned, like, Clinch Mountain backstep, and... Experienced how fun it could be when you yeah. have someone else who, who knows the same material. Totally, and, and it's like, it was, that was kind of, like, my intro to bluegrass was, like, playing with my friend Sam, and, yeah, I guess um, from there, we kind of, like, started a full band over, the, like, the next couple of years, and... Found some other... Sound some other, some folks other pickers, yeah. Oh, that's and, great. Um, um, eventually, I kind of uh, I joined another band up in Portland called y East, um, and the guitar player of that band was going to Berkeley. Okay, and he encouraged me to apply to Berkeley as a banjo player, which I eventually did. And yep. um, the next year, I was kind of went all in on banjo and decided to kind of go to Berkeley and study the banjo and. So who did you study with? There was Wes still there. At that um, yeah, point Wes. Okay. Um I think Wes and I like his first semester teaching was my first semester. Ah, gotcha. As a student there.
1: Yeah. So what kind of stuff did they did they teach you that that applied to the to the banjo? I guess I've heard from other other people that they had to go to guitar classes or or piano classes, yeah. but but you actually maybe had the opportunity to play yeah, to so take I, the banjo
0: class. I think I was fortunate in that um having like a designated uh banjo teacher when i started there i guess uh dave hollander had also been mm-hmm. uh, teaching for the past couple of years but um but yeah having um kind of a designated banjo program there i got to learn like about how to kind of like apply these ideas like modes and scales and stuff like that and arpeggios and kind of be able to like apply that to the banjo yeah and learn actual like kind of practical techniques of doing that
1: are there any secret berkeley tips that you're that you're able to to share with people like what do you think was maybe some of the most important concepts that you um, that you might even still use today
0: well i guess um one kind of cool thing that i was always like you know, that kind of like blew me away when I learned about it. Was like the idea of like upper structure triads, which is okay. like, you know, if you know what that is, it's like if you like think of like a dominant seven chord, yeah, um, and then kind of like add tensions as you go up. So like you got the nine there, so. Uh, So just, like, having kind of that, um, you know, thinking about the tensions of a chord. And then how do
1: you, how do you then apply that to, were you applying that to, like, bluegrass playing?
0: um, Yeah, I mean, I I think, like, I actually probably use that stuff, like, a ton in my playing, just because, like, you know, if you're playing over, like, a five chord on, like like on uh, John Hardy or something like that, like, yeah, you know, just stuff like that where, um, you know, I find that like five chords, a lot of time you can like apply a lot of like weird dominant theory kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, that's where the tension is supposed to be. Totally. In a way, so yeah, the more the more you can add, the, the yeah, more I,
0: colorful it can be. I found that like learning about those upper structure triads and kind of that stuff uh, kind of opened up a world of like being able to kind of like color harmony yeah. in a different way. That's uh, very interesting. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned modes and stuff too. What what is a good way for people who are unfamiliar with with modes and how to use them? What's a good way to um, to break those down or or how do you find yourself using things like that?
0: I guess um, just thinking about like you know, in bluegrass, the modes that you hear are like the Ionian, you know, major scale right. on a lot of like major stuff. But on like, you know, say bluegrass breakdown or something, you might hear more of a mixolydian sound or Um, where that's kind of like, you know, it's got that flat seven sound. Yeah, right. More of the bluesy. But, you know, as far as like, I guess kind of my philosophy towards like modes and scales and stuff like that is like, you know, I think of them as they apply to music that I'm like already playing, or I might like practice, uh, you know, like... You know, something like that in my spare time to kind of incorporate that into my improv when I'm actually kind of like in the moment and what just be, Just
1: kind of training your ear to be more, be able to identify the type of sound you want and be able to link that sound that you want with a mode that will get you that sound. Yeah. And, or and like, then just be able to call on that.
0: Yeah. Just like practicing uh, modes in my spare time, like when I'm practicing, yeah. kind of like trains my hand to, like, where the notes are and, like, how to throw them in if I'm, like, you know, in the heat of the moment. Yeah. And, like, I want to do, like, a single note line or something in, you know, I don't know, like, Dorian or something like that. like Totally. Yeah. Um, but, like, being able to just kind of, like, have those notes to draw on. And yeah. And those... Have your hand trained to where the notes are mm-hmm. um, I think helps in kind of a musical setting so these
1: days you you play not only a lot of the single string type of stuff like that, yeah, but you kind of mix in a lot of the different fundamental styles that we know about as banjoists totally how did you and and on top of that, you have to be able to perform it at you guys play pretty. Fast and, yeah. and pretty intensely. How did you? How do you prepare yourself for that kind of playing?
0: Oh man, honestly, I, uh, a lot of the time, like I just kind of like put on a metronome to like you know start at like one forty or something like that. Okay, have the click on the backbeat and then just kind of like kick off, you know, little Maggie or something like. <laughs> And then kind of go up to, like, where it's, like. And just kind of, like, work on, like, getting the kickoff right. And then kind of try and do, like, some improv. Mess around a bit. Mess around with it. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think also on the flip side, it's good to, like, put the metronome on really slow and like play these same tunes that we play at like breakneck speed and like try and really like think of some kind of different ideas and like
1: yeah your mind can come up with different things when there's a lot more space in between each note yeah um yeah yeah that's that's crazy um but even specifically like single string speaking for myself and I know a lot of other people really have trouble getting that up to speed, at totally. least in a clean way. Is that just about repetition and and click tracks too, or do you have any
0: oh, man. secrets about how you conquered that? I mean, I, I wouldn't say I've conquered it at this <laughs> right. point. It's uh, you know, definitely still uh, every day is a new day in terms of trying to make that happen. But yeah, I would say like one thing that helped me kind of early on is like learning... You know, just kind of like pentatonic, like being able to play pentatonic scales out of like every position going up the neck. Okay. Like, say we're in D and we could do like. And so special. on. That's minor pentatonic, right? Yeah, minor pentatonic, yeah. or you know, you, you could do major pentatonic as well. Sure, um, you know, knowing it all just give you more options when you're like improvising. Yeah, yeah basically. totally.
1: Did you always improvise a lot, or is that something that has come up more?
0: Yeah, uh, I think with, uh, with your current group. Oddly enough, I kind of like came mostly from improvising only. Yeah. Like, even to where, like, I wouldn't play actual song forms. Like, you know, when I started playing banjo, it was mostly just kind of tinkering around on my own and, like, not even really knowing any tunes.
1: Yeah, I guess I didn't even ask you about that. You kind of said that, that once... Uh, Sam Weiss, is that what you said uh, his name? Yeah, Sam Weiss. Once you met him, that's when you started learning actual tunes. But I didn't even ask what you were playing before yeah. that. Is is that the answer um, that you were just... just kind of her? messing
0: around. Like, I might put on, like... I, I remember, like, back in 2008, I was really into, like, Blitz and Trapper. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I might, like, put on their... One of their albums and, like, just play banjo to it. Or, like, you know, throw on Yonder Mountain String Band or something, because I was getting really into them at that time as well. So d- just using them as, as your own
1: jam Yeah, jam-along, like, jam-along just jam yeah. to
0: recordings and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Yeah, I don't know. I... I It's almost been more of, like, learning how to play structure and, like, how to, like, learn the melody as Earl Scruggs would play it that's been sort of my more recent... In more recent years, that's been, like, more of, like, a focus. Just trying to get kind of the fundamentals of, like, bluegrass banjo. You feel like you're kind of revisiting a lot of those fundamental... Totally. I mean, like, I... I could open up the Scruggs book and like definitely like learn a lot from just like brushing up on that stuff. Oh, yeah. Just because I
1: think we all could probably, yeah.
0: You know, it's like as much as like improv and like single note, you know, single string and modes and stuff like Mm -hmm. that is like part of what I do with, you know, the Billy Strings band. Like, I think also having the fundamentals of like, the scrug stuff is like more important because that's kind of like the the jumping off point with the kind of crazy improv stuff
1: yeah even just from uh it's almost like working out as a basketball player nothing you do in the gym yeah is what you do on the court but it, it lets your body able to do the things that you, totally. you need it to do and yeah. the, that scrug stuff is just about yeah the, it's a workout <laughs> if oh, not sure. the it,
0: else it's like you know that that's as uh as challenging to me as like trying to learn like a bailiff flex solo or something like that right
1: so who are your your main influences would you say or what artists have you always gone back to or do you have like maybe even some favorite albums that you think have been the most influential to you
0: well um, banjo wise as far as, like, banjo influences, I would say, like, you know, Bail Fleck was kind of one of the first people that really inspired me. I remember going to, like, a Fleck Tones show in Portland back in 2007 or something like that. And
1: Did you say the first you had heard of him was that that Bluegrass Sessions disc?
0: Totally. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd listened to him kind of, like, throughout my uh, adolescence. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like Bela is a big influence. Uh I really dig uh Gnomes playing. Sure. You know, Scruggs, obviously. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean also like, you know, learning from Wes Corbett, like I was really inspired by his approach and his sound and Yeah, they they can do they
1: all do different things really well. It's pretty it can be pretty inspiring for sure. Totally. You brought up Bela, I just saw online the other night you guys had kind of a a menage a trois of of we did. banjo goodness that looked that looked real fun had you met him or played with him before that
0: um i'd met him in the like format of like a cd signing or something like that okay. where it's like you know next in line yeah kind Hi. of
1: good job man Thanks. yeah All yeah right.
0: that sort of thing um but yeah it was it was really cool like uh, and it was you and and uh
1: Bela and Kyle Tuttle,
0: yeah Kyle was... is what I'm
1: referring to there's a, uh, a video going around where
0: totally you yeah, all yeah appeared we were on stage um,
1: together, yeah
0: we did like a Christmas special kind of show in Nashville, and Billy invited all the all the musician friends out, like we had Lindsay Lou, yeah sitting in and like Molly Tuttle and um the McCurries, and I guess Billy kind of like thought last minute like oh i I have Bela's number, maybe I should uh you know see if <laughs> he wants let to him come know. yeah excellent um so he you know just hit him up kind of last minute and um i remember wrapping up just our first set and like walking back to the green room and like just seeing him picking with cody kilby and ronnie mccurry backstage oh, no. and it was like oh man <laughs> shit just got real <laughs> exactly <laughs> um but yeah we uh uh, we did a little home sweet home twin banjo part, which was super cool. Oh, that's and, very cool. Um, then you know, Kyle came up at the end, and we did triple banjo, uh, Big Mon, Big Mon. Yeah, that's the that's the video that I saw. Um,
1: that looked like a hoot. That's got to be kind of nerve wracking,
0: right? It's it was a little nerve wracking in I, front of that guy. Um, yeah, and even not playing with him, like there was, uh, you know, for the whole show leading up to that, there was a piece of tape on the floor. In front of Bela's di that he was going to use that just said "Bela oh no, so just a, a reminder that I better uh he he could be watching at yeah, any he point could, and he could be watching and he had
1: marked you know. his territory yeah, great oh that's it. Totally. um so let's talk about your your instrument here what uh tell us about this banjo and and all the the parts
0: Yeah, so um actually, this banjo I just got recently and um, I was kind of in touch with, uh, Tom Neckville. Yeah. Um, I sort of had, had interest in his, uh, style of banjo making for, um, you know, a little bit now. And for sure. Um, so yeah, I got in touch with him and he, um, actually sent me this banjo back in October. Um, and it's, I think it's kind of like a mix of parts, like maybe it's the pot from, um. Like a Neckville Phantom model, okay, I'm pretty sure um I might mix might be mixing that up, but then the neck is from uh the vintage model that he makes, okay, so it's like uh kind of one of the things that I like about it is like it's it's kind of like a mix of like you know a modern take on the banjo and kind of the classic old standby kind of stuff, so had you told him? basically what you wanted and he had mixed the parts to to come
1: up with the model that that he thought um, suited you
0: yeah we kind of like went back and forth a few times and like he um he had kind of an idea you know based on like the sound of like my playing like what he sort of thought would be like a good fit from his perspective okay you know making the banjo and like Um, I sort of like told him what I was interested in. Like, you know, I wanted something that was maple with a little bit of like a classic flavor still. Okay. Um, what draws you to maple? You, you just, um, I think, uh, I don't know. I I think it's just kind of like, it's got a sort of depth to it that, uh, is kind of unique. Okay. I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm loving this banjo so far. Um, That's really cool. It's uh, It's got kind of the, like, crack that you want, like... Yeah. Like that sort of classic bluegrass hard-driving sound, but, sure. like, you can also kind of get, like, deeper... Kind of the deeper tones on yeah, it definitely. as well, which I think kind of is what I'm going for, like, in my playing anyway, is, like... Being able, Being able to be hard versatile. drive, like, yeah. when I, you know, when it's called for, and then be able to kind of, like, play uh, stuff that's a little bit more uh, modern and all that.
1: Yeah, prettier sounding if you need to. And
0: totally. As and pretty like, as a
1: banjo is going to get, anyway.
0: Yeah, and uh, this this banjo, like, it's got a little bit more sustain, Um okay. I was playing on, like, a Gibson Earl Scruggs model before, which I, um, you know, still have and still play here and there as well. But, you know, it's cool to kind of have that classic Gibson banjo as well as, like, a little bit something that kind of, like, is a little bit between, you know, a more modern banjo and that kind of classic Gibson sound. Yeah, it has a little more variety to it. Totally. So even though it's a mix of parts, it's
1: all Neckville parts. It is, yeah. different model of banjos
0: totally and it's like you know all the setup stuff is like his own kind of patented stuff like instead of having like individual you know hooks that you you tighten the head with it's like two points that you like put like this tool into and then like the whole thing kind of uniformly right tom's
1: been on the podcast before too and, and he got the whole idea from his friend suggesting that he makes it like a mayonnaise jar, yeah, and it's just a like the lid of a jar that screws on to the to totally. the rim, and and once you once you think about it like that, you're like, yeah, that's a that's exactly how this thing is working.
0: Yeah, so it's like um, all the like setup and stuff like that is super like kind of straightforward and easy, which is you know it's good for me just because like I'm not you know I don't have like the uh, the brain or the patience for like endless, uh, you don't carry the toolbox around. Yeah. uh, I'm not a a tinkerer. Yeah. Okay. Um, But you know, um,
1: and that's a radius neck. It looks like too.
0: It is. Yeah. I, um, this is sort of the first banjo that I've had that had a radius on it. I was going to say, I didn't think the Scruggs banjos
1: typically had that. So is that tough to get used to or you prefer it?
0: Actually, it's, uh, I think the radius has kind of like made it a bit easier to like you know as far as like the single string stuff um hmm. it's kind of like easier to execute some of the things that I like want to play that you know I might kind of flub on okay um you know with my Gibson banjo or with the straight neck is that the main difference you notice that it's it's just more comfortable with some of those yeah more i mean it's difficult- like i feel like you can have like the action a little lower and like yeah opens up the single string stuff in a cool way for sure.
1: What about so you have a pickup in
0: there too? I do. Um, well, uh, tell
1: tell me about what that is and and what you like about that.
0: Yeah, so I have a um it's a fishman pickup and I also um I blend it with a uh an Audio-Technica like clip-on mic. Is that
1: like one of those Pro thirty five. I think so. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I I run a blend, and uh, actually our sound guy mixes that. So you send him the two. Yeah. Both lines. And uh, okay. I I use like a Grace uh, Alex DI. Okay. Which um, it's cool because there's like a lot of like mid range control on that, like for EQing. Know, yeah, like there's a really wide range of like mids that you can boost or like yeah. you know, pinpoint a certain frequency that kind of like brings out like the natural sound of whatever banjo you're using.
1: Do you feel like you're typically boosting frequencies or are you
0: trying um, to cut out
1: feedback or you ca- like how do you yeah, how do you optimize that?
0: So I um on our rack I I sort of uh we have like an EQ for our monitors and I I spent like a couple hours with my in-ear monitors and just like uh, messing with the sound to try and make it the most, like my kind of the most natural and close to like how my banjo sounds. Right. Just locking it in how you. Yeah. I found that like boosting, boosting some high mids um, and kind of like cutting some of the lows and stuff like that. I think it's kind of, what I had the best uh, kind of success with okay, in terms of doing that.
1: Excellent. What Do you use any other boxes on stage? I know Billy, talking about Billy Strings now, too yeah. many Billys going mm-hmm. around. Lots of Billys. Uh, exactly. I know he uses some, some effects. I'm not sure that I've heard as much from you. Do you have any other bo- um, boxes well, down there?
0: I'm sort of like, the only real effect that I use now is uh, I've got a pedal that's a... Um, It's like a reverb and a a tap tempo delay. Mm -hmm. All in the same Yeah, all in the same box, which, you know, my kind of approach to effects is like, I want to find stuff that's like, I mean, I I guess there's differing philosophies. Um, I think like my, what I gravitate towards is kind of like having something that like, you know, you can still have like a banjo sort of, essence Mm -hmm. but be able to make it sound a little bit weird right kind of like i I think i might try and add like a phaser at some point like a pete ornick kind of totally uh, like i I love that sound um but yeah i mean i'm still kind of like experimenting with like what you know what effects kind of like fit best with the banjo i guess yeah
1: it is tough definitely the the fuzz boxes and all that just turns into a it can be pretty messy, pretty quick.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's also like you know working with like kind of the lack of sustain that banjos have. Right. You know, it's like you want to find something that like it's like a tremolo pedal wouldn't necessarily be like the <laughs> yeah. best fit for that because the note just it wouldn't dies do anything. Off. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but you know, work in progress there. So how do you how do you strategize of when you're going to use
1: delay and reverb or what Um, are there particular types of songs that you just go to those or
0: yeah I mean it it could uh, I think it's kind of like some of the more like rock if we do like a bluegrass song that has like kind of like a hard rocking element to it I might like you know if we have like a down section I might kick in the reverb and then if we're getting um, you know kind of weird and spacey that's when I might do the uh, the delay and just kind of for a different flavor, a different... Yeah, yeah, and like, another thing is like, I, I sort of grew up listening to a lot of Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like reverb and delay kind of allow me to like channel Pink Floyd through <laughs> the banjo a little bit. So um, you're inner David
1: Gilmore, right? Totally. Right, cool. Awesome. We have a lot of banjo geeks listening. So let, let's even get more nuts and bolts. What kind of picks and strings and what like give us the full breakdown here
0: oh gosh um well i think uh strings i i kind of alternate between a few different ones Mm -hmm. but um honestly i like never change my strings like (laughs) pretty much until they break on stage so you Um, don't have
1: problems with like uh you're not one of these people where your your hand oils rust the the strings or yeah, like yeah yeah pretty good luck with that
0: yeah i think cool. um yeah i kind of uh honestly just buy whatever strings are available um, okay. you know at whatever music shop that i go to on the road <laughs> that's great uh, but I, I i get a lot of um like diadario strings mm-hmm. yeah i usually use kind of like the uh you know lighter gauge i feel like doing that i can kind of like play a little lighter and Not have to like Fight for every note I guess
1: Is that something That's changed As you're Plugged in And playing more Of these Almost rock Oriented shows Where you don't have to Physically Pull the Tone out So So hard You can maybe Let the pickup Do a bit of the work Do you think that's changed your playing
0: Yeah I mean I think I think like If I'm playing into a mic In like a loud bar Or something Mm -hmm. There's like Definitely a tendency To like Kind of play harder than I need to. Yeah. And I think having, being on in-ears and like, you know, having the pickup up going has allowed me to kind of like, you know, take a deep breath and like relax a little bit and just focus on like playing as I would, you know, at my house or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just sitting on your bed or, yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Um, So what about the, what about the picks you got? Is it-
0: oh, um, well, these are, um, I got a pair of national finger picks. I've actually been using the same ones for maybe about six years now. The exact same pair. The exact same. Lost
1: them or crushed them or.
0: I've uh, you know I've managed to hold on to them. Knock on wood. Yeah,
1: congratulations.
0: Uh, But yeah, and then I use a a blue chip thumb pick, which um, that was kind of a cool switch to make. I I was using like you know plastic thumb picks before and. Mm Um, the blue chips have, you know. I think I've uh, been able to, like, you know, make one last for two years. Yeah, where yeah, like totally. I just breeze through the the plastic thumb picks.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the selling point of the of the blue chips
0: is that. Yeah, and not to mention, you know, time. the sound is balanced and they feel good. Yeah, all that a bit more consistent.
1: Do you still do a bit of songwriting? I have your your solo album, uh, and I, yeah. I was actually surprised at how. I don't know what I expected—a banjo yeah, yeah. album or something—but I was surprised at how m- much of it is. It's really a singer-songwriter totally uh, record, which is really cool. Do you still write quite a bit for the band, or any plans to incorporate more of that into uh, performing? Um,
0: well, um, every so often with the band, uh, we'll kind of play, you know, one or two of my songs. But yeah, I I've been sort of like on a little break from writing. Yeah. Just because um, of it's not called yeah, I mean, for it it, as much. It's hard to get into the like songwriting mindset, you know, with the kind of schedule that I'm keeping right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm sort of like hoping to kind of get a little bit more. You know, I think our our schedule a little easier in the coming months, so I, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get a little bit more time to kind of sit down and write when I'm home. Do you write on the banjo or guitar? Um, I actually, I haven't written that much on the banjo. Um, I, I usually write with a guitar, um, just cause I, you know, you can get kind of the low bass notes and stuff like that. And yeah. like, you know, full chords and
1: yeah. Hear how that the harmony yeah, actually
0: working out. Not to mention, you know, like it's a little harder, like thinking about rolling, and like singing new lyrics or something like that it's yeah getting <laughs> used to the to both of those at the same more, time uh, more moving more moving more challenging
1: yeah for sure so yeah you mentioned your guys tour schedule tell people what they what they should expect to see if they want to come uh see your band billy strings in case they don't already know what's, well, what's the show like
0: gosh um well i'd just say uh maybe a goat there might be live goats there there involved. might be live goats i think uh <laughs> last night was the inaugural uh live goat at the concert hopefully so. the first of many yeah and for people who want
1: to check out your playing specifically how do they track you down like online to find your schedule or your recordings
0: yeah so uh my website billyfailing.com i think i've got it set up so it lists all my billy strings dates okay um, and then you know I, I'm probably going to be adding some uh, some solo dates this coming year as well. Oh, fantastic! Um, so that'll all be up there, and uh, I guess uh, social media as well—Facebook, Instagram. Excellent. All that sort of stuff.
1: Anything else we need to know about Billy Failing's playing and and how we can we can play like you and. Try to keep up with the Billy Stringses of the world.
0: Oh gosh. Well, I don't know if there's any keeping up with the the Billy Stringses of the world, but um, it starts with the name, maybe. maybe yeah, that's yeah. The first, first secret. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well,
1: hey man, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, been a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Cool. Cheers. See ya.
1: A quick reminder: don't stop listening yet. There's actually still one more short interview to go with Andy Lytle who is the sound engineer for the Billy Strings Band, and he's going to give his tips and background in terms of best practices for getting a good acoustic sound. So here he is, Andy Lytle, the sound engineer for Billy Strings. All right, Andy, well, you're not a normal guest on the show because you're not a world-famous banjo <laughs> player, so assuming that not too many of the listeners probably know you by name, yeah. why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell us what you do, what your job is, and and how you came to do that.
2: Yeah, uh, my name's Andy Lytle. Um, I run sound in front of house for Billy Strings. Um, I started running sound about 10 years ago. I went out to uh, Full Sail University down in Orlando yeah. um, for show production and touring, since then i kind of started a company uh with a music festival as well so the music festival is called orange blossom jamboree and you know we were doing our audio stuff and we kind of you know kept buying pa and it got to the point where we were like oh well, we should just start a production company out of it so Uh, you know, we kept doing it and, uh, yeah, I've been running sound for, I guess, 10 years professionally now. Have you always been interested
1: in acoustic oriented music or roots oriented music? It's
2: always been intriguing to me for sure. Um, just because it is a little bit, you know, you have to have, uh, you have to have an ear and dial in those weird frequencies with acoustic music, you know, uh, uh, with drums, it covers up a lot of those frequencies and you can kind of fake it a little bit, but You know, with the acoustic music, it's you got to have everything pretty dialed in, and it's made me a better sound engineer, I think, from you know starting with the band because you know I'd mixed you know bluegrass music or country music before, but it was never you know on this level and you know four or five to- four or five times a week. Yeah, so for
1: sure what uh what did they do at full sail how did you train your ear to to recognize those frequencies and yeah. to be able to to really work with it
2: yeah so full sails uh you know an accelerated college so they try and spit out a lot of information at you you mm-hmm. know pretty quickly so it it was a little tough t- for me to try and get my ear dialed in going to school because i was still young uh you know i had kind of a party mentality too so okay. it was like you know, it took me a couple years to, you know, be able to develop my frequencies. And, you know, I had apps that helped me do that. So, you know, there's an app, I can't remember the name of it, but it would send out a frequency and it gave you, gives you four options. Just as a tone? Yeah, totally okay. like a tone. And you have to figure out which which tone it was. And that's really how I developed my ear, you know, and, and uh, not having an RTA analyzer while I'm you know, EQing the monitors, you know, stuff feeding back and you having to figure out which frequency is feeding back. Yeah. And the longer it takes
1: you totally the more annoyed everybody who's within earshot is at you. So um and just for for clarity, RTA, what does that stand uh, for and explain uh, what that
2: does? Yeah, so an RTA is a real time analyzer. It uh analyze so your hearing is twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz. That's the human ear. Um, you know, most people above 10 years old can't hear 20 K. It's, you know, we only hear like 16 or 17 K. But, um, what that is, is it's reading all those frequencies. So, you know, if something's feeding back, it's feeding back at only, not only a frequency, it's also a note, um, Mm -hmm. like a key of A or B or C or whatever. Um, so you have to, you know, pick that frequency and eliminate it you know from the monitor so that's really uh what an rta does is it allows you to f- view the frequencies that are coming in and uh you know you're able to make adjustments tell it
1: it's a visual
2: representation yeah, of what exactly. you're hearing yep yeah totally and also
1: just to just to back up just in case people aren't familiar with some of the ter- terminology the frequency is basically an interchangeable word for for pitch so totally. a low frequency means a deep low yeah. tone whereas the the yeah. high pitch is more like a piccolo or a whistle or totally. something like that. Cool. So what so we're dealing with banjo players here and you deal with a lot of banjo players and and full bluegrass bands. Yeah. What are some things that maybe common mistakes that you see banjo players making in their in their setup or or what makes you happy as a sound guy on the other hand yeah. if a banjo player comes to you.
2: Totally. So um one of the main things that I've noticed uh you know if you're getting your banjo and you're just plugging it into a DI box where you don't have any EQ control mm-hmm. um, and it's flat, that's usually the sound guy's dream, you know, for yeah. you to be getting a flat, you know, EQ and I, I can adjust to it. What I've noticed sometimes is Uh, you know, frequencies are being boosted on DI boxes, uh, you know, if you have that option Um, and you're, you're boosting frequencies to make it sound good to your ear. But once you're sending that, that tone to speakers in a room, it's not, you don't want to have stuff like that boosted. So I think having, you know, some stuff boosted and sending it a post level to me is, is something that's not really ideal you okay. know, so, sound guys will deal with it and probably not say anything to you about it. Yeah. But yeah, having a flat frequency coming, uh, you know, to the soundboard is what is, you know, going to start you off on the right path, I think.
1: And what about banjo players who are maybe going through the decision of, should I use a pickup? Should I use a microphone? Yeah. What what should they be Thinking about yeah. when they're um, making that decision,
2: yeah, and it's it's really helpful to have both. Uh, with Billy Failing, we do a banjo DI and a pick and a microphone, mm-hmm. so you kind of get that. You know, it's not just a straight DI sound; you have some warmth to it, and uh, you actually hear the picks hitting the strings. Right. You know, anything like that is is great because you're actually you're just trying to represent the banjo. On how you're hearing it naturally, mm-hmm. so having a pick uh, a pickup and a microphone is is great. Um, Definitely, yeah.
1: Um, so what a, you are we're already talking about ear training and, and frequencies and stuff like that. Are there any? specific ones for for banjo players that you want them to know about or is it kind of just case by case
2: yeah i think it's mainly case by case and banjo by banjo um you know i like whenever i started mixing banjos i kind of had the idea that every banjo should sound pretty much the same okay um and i've noticed with a lot like working with you know uh other banjo players that are like you know like rail uh railroad earth or like say uh Uh, leftover salmon Mm -hmm. Um, they have pretty specific tones about their banjo and uh, it's all what they want to hear it sound like you know i've noticed that uh, stuffing more stuff into their banjo to make it have that tone it's really what you know what you want it to sound like and trying to manipulate that i think so
1: in general which frequencies correspond to different qualities in the banjo. For example, if, yeah. if somebody's having trouble with, I don't know, with it not cutting through as much, yeah. what should they be looking at?
2: Yeah, um, and, and that's totally, you know, something with the pickup. You might need to get a better pickup. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've noticed that, you know, uh, the 1K, uh, 1,000 hertz area is pr- usually pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, so people try and adjust that and try and cut that all the way out which sometimes isn't good, you know, sometimes I need I need that harshness to be able to, to represent it and then I can cut it back how I see fit. Okay. Um but yeah, like the 1, 1. 1.6 area is usually really hot for banjos and it's, you know, if it if it hurts your ears, that's why that's the 1k area. That that's so. what really
1: it's like the ice pick. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. What about like just a process that maybe bands in general that are just starting to play out and they're encountering sound guys at clubs, what, I don't know, maybe like from a sound check perspective or yeah. from an organization perspective, how should bands approach their first times dealing with a sound guy who's a, someone they don't know, maybe yeah. just works for the club.
2: Yeah. Or, or not that, uh, aware of bluegrass music or how it sounds. Yeah. Bands that's, sound. that's very Yeah, common. It can be very rough, you know, it's, uh, It's always nice to have somebody with you that can, you know, that's able to determine what's feeding back or what sounds harsh. You know, it's really up to the sound guy's job. And, uh, you know, I guess one of the main things is like having a graphic or like having an EQ uh, pedal is really helpful because you can go to each individual frequencies and cut out what you think. You know, if the sound guy isn't doing his job, you can just go to that frequency and cut it out yourself. Yeah. Um, and they make those pedals like a 12-band EQ pedal or whatever for like 100 bucks. Yeah. Uh, but that will definitely help uh, if you don't have a sound guy with you, obviously. So.
1: What, yeah, or what about bands who have to run sound themselves Themselves. Yeah, from stage? Is there yeah. something they should know about? what speakers to buy or how to set them up or
2: yeah um just some basics yeah it's all it's all the room totally you know if it's a very live room you know that can count you know if you have your monitors up a lot and you're sending a lot of banjo and you have a vocal mic also right in front of you that's all going to counter into you know, the lower, the better. The better. You know, the uh, Billy uses all in-ears, so there's no stage volume.
1: Lower, you mean lower volume? Lower volume. Okay.
2: Yeah, so like having your banjo cranked up in your monitors just, just so you can hear it isn't usually the best thing. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to have a very low stage volume, I think, is key, especially if you're running sound for yourself. Like, you have to... You have to start at a uh, at a really good volume for you to be able to do that and try and manage it. So I think having stage volume, you know, is the main main I think factor in trying to make it sound clean. Cool for sure.
1: So have you have you worked with a lot of different banjo players at the what was it called the Jamboree that you run? Oh uh, yeah. in Florida.
2: Yeah, so it's uh you know we've had bands like uh, Grass Is Dead and uh, Billy Gilmore. I'm good friends with Billy. Okay. Uh, you know, I've read sound for them a bunch. You know, it's not like I didn't know what I was doing, but it was one of those things where I was like, "Man, this—I I don't know if I like the banjo." And then I really, <laughs> you know, I've I've gotten used to it, and I really enjoy the, the banjo now. It's like it's something that is like really Tony and whole, wholesome, if you can make it sound right. You know, right
1: for sure. Do, can you think of anyone who maybe has a particularly good banjo tone that? really yeah. translates well live
2: i i think uh billy failing is probably my favorite banjo i've ever i've heard uh coming from a live standpoint like i think he has a really good ear on what he wants it to sound like mm-hmm. and uh you know that kind of reflects but yeah i i got a uh, chance to run sound for Bela fleck the other night and uh yeah he does an okay job I yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> and it, Man, his his banjo was, uh, I'm sure for his live shows, he's got pedals and stuff, and he's got EQ mm-hmm. stuff going on, but we hooked his banjo up straight into a DI box, and I thought it sounded awesome, you know? Just flat, like you yeah, said? Yeah, just flat, yeah, and I can, can kind of ma- manipulate it a little yeah, bit, so... Yeah, that's great. Are you a a studio guy, too? Or,
1: I'm or not. Or have you been exclusively um, live sound?
2: Yeah, I've been... Uh, Whenever I went to Full Sale, I was going to do the whole recording art program. And mm-hmm. uh, I decided that I think that the live route was what I wanted to go. So I went that route. And, uh, you know, I didn't record really much of anything until I joined uh, Billy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been uploading to nugs.net uh, pretty much every show. And it, I had to learn how to, how to mix and master shows. And I'd never done that before.
1: What, and you have to do that in real time? Uh, or they're uploaded n- like afterwards.
2: Yeah, I I have usually I I try and get stuff out like a week to 2 weeks after the show. Okay. Um because I'm also driving the van uh, <laughs> oh my God. you know like yeah, I'm, I I'm trying to find time to do it all. And uh but it's it's really nice to be able to do that kind of stuff to be able to listen back to the show and uh you know re-EQ everything, rebalance mm-hmm. everything out, remix it all down again. Um you know that's that stuff is is starting to be pretty fun for me because I'm starting to get a little bit better at it. Yeah. Um and you know like I've I've been asking my recording friends like hey you know tell me what it sounds like. I don't know. I think it just sounds good to my ear. I don't know if it's I'm supposed to be doing something differently. So right. it's all a learning experience for sure but I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: So um
1: do you have any so for the the people who don't go the the pickup route are there specific mic choices that in your experience for for live use tend to work really well for banjo
2: Um so what we're using is uh forgive me if i'm wrong i think it's the Audio Technica AT30 something like that um uh, AT33 35, 35 um, yeah is, um is
1: according to to y- Billy the one and that's the the little goosebumps yeah, clip on one. Yeah,
2: and those yeah. work great. Like we use those with the mand uh, we use that with Jared's mandolin and Billy's okay. guitar. Um and that that adds a lot to the recordings as well. It's not just a you know, a DI sound to it. It's got that acoustic feel, and that that helps out a lot. I don't have too much experience with other clip on mics for banjos. Um I know What noted, about even stand mount? Yeah, um, I'm not, and again, like I'm not. I came from a an e, kind of an EDM world where I was running sound for a band called Zugma, and they're like electronic jam band. So whenever you know Billy's talked about, you know, do everyone huddling around one mic, I've never done that before. <laughs> so I'm excited to do it, uh, but I don't have too much experience with all that, like okay. you know, different microphones that are best used for that. But yeah, excellent. Yeah,
1: cool. Any other tips or, or things that you want? people to know about what they should expect trying to amplify acoustic instruments or or what they need to
2: it's uh do yeah just train your ear you know um everyone can everyone can be a sound guy if you put your mind to it Mm -hmm. and you can train your ear to hear frequencies that don't sound good you know at, at the same time there's a lot of sound guys where you know they know a lot of really good information to make it sound good, but it doesn't sound good to other people because everyone's ear's different so um you know, adding compression to a lot of stuff definitely helps. Hmm. Uh especially with the banjo, like compressing the banjo. Yeah, yeah. Um and I do a pretty harsh ratio for the banjo like so whenever he's hitting those really harsh notes yeah. that I don't want to If you start EQing stuff out, it's going to take away from the tone of the banjo. Mm-hmm. So if you take away that whole 1k to 2k, that's going to destroy your actual tone of the banjo. You can't just cut all that out. So you know, compressing it and and making sure that it's being compressed instead of just sending you that harsh signal is definitely you know mm-hmm. something that a sound guy should look so into d- for sure.
1: So you EQ before the compression?
2: Uh, so the yeah, you you can. It's all it's all how you feel about going about it. Um, mm-hmm. I usually EQ and then throw the compression on, and if that's not working, then I'll go back to the EQ and and adjust a little bit more. Okay. Um, cause the compression's only doing so much, you know?
1: So get super geeky with it. Like what are, what are you talking about by a harsh ratio? Or are we talking like four to one or even? Uh, yeah,
2: even like seven to one or 10 to one sometimes okay. with like a high attack. Um, so it's not just hitting the compression all the time, you know, it's letting it build up to that really crankiness and then it starts to compress okay you know so i i I usually just suggest it with rooms as well you know sometimes you don't need that much of a compression Mm -hmm. uh ratio
1: and are you only compressing the di signal or
2: you kind of i'm compressing the 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 microphone signal as well a little bit but it's not anywhere near as what i'm compressing like so say my ratio is like Uh, seven or ten to one for the di it's normally like four to one with the the mic so you do them completely
1: independently yeah totally okay so interesting
2: yeah and then also uh i throw the the mic out of phase because it it man with with the pickup yeah with the pickup yeah because you're hearing like with frequencies you know if you look at a chart on how frequencies go you know, if those frequencies aren't in line, then mm-hmm. it's not going to sound right. And you don't really notice it's out of phase until you flip the phase button. And you're like, that sounds 10 times better. You're hearing a
1: bunch of stuff yeah. that you weren't hearing totally. before. Totally. Like,
2: you're getting those low notes. It sounds, you know, cleaner. Yeah. It doesn't just sound like a mic fighting with a DI because mm-hmm. the frequencies are not not aligning, you know. And also, I
1: think it's worth noting that even for people who aren't using... A mic and a DI, that same thing can happen between a banjo mic and a vocal mic if they're totally. both uh, picking up the same totally. yeah. information. So, yeah, yeah, that's another thing that's worth messing around with. Totally groovy. A- anything we forgot to uh, to cover?
2: I think any uh, other
1: secrets of amazing banjo tone yeah, that everyone
2: needs to it's, know. yeah, buy a really good banjo and uh, I guess start from there but yeah. Practice a lot probably. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean people have uh, different banjo styles and I've I've noticed that a lot people pick it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bela Fleck style of banjo isn't you know the most traditional style of banjo For and sure. I've noticed that a lot that you know it's it's you know how how you're playing it. Yeah. and What you want it to sound like? Definitely. You know? Do you? I know there
1: there are sometimes two schools of, of sound guy philosophies in terms of making everything sound as much like that instrument as you can, yeah. versus making everything sound like like no kick drum really sounds like yeah. ACDC's kick
2: drum totally. in real life. Totally. It's the sound guy yeah. making it or sound the Metallica like Metallica kick drum. Yeah, anything yeah. like that. Totally.
1: Do, so what's what's your philosophy with the acoustic instruments? Do you feel like you're trying to dress them up a bit, or are you only trying to yeah, I, uh, let there, them through as natural as possible?
2: Yeah, there's sometimes some times where, you know, Billy's acoustic guitar is, uh, you know, harsh and low-end in some rooms, and then it's bright in other rooms. So, you know, adding, you know, high-end uh, to certain rooms and certain instruments, like, yeah, I'll, I'll try and... I'll try and obviously represent it to what they want it to sound like, but also to my ear. So like Mm -hmm. with Billy's guitar, I'll throw a graphic EQ on the guitar and only cut out that one frequency that's giving me problems as opposed to cutting everything around it and trying to make it, you know, blend. Exactly. So that definitely helps. Great. Yeah.
1: All right, man. Well, Hey, thanks for, thanks for speaking with us. Yeah.
2: Thanks for inviting me. And,
1: uh, Dealing with all these banjos on behalf of us, yeah. we always appreciate it when a sound guy can can appreciate it and not just tell us banjo jokes all night long. Although banjo jokes can be cool too.
2: I need to learn some banjo jokes. I think I'm lacking on the uh, the banjo jokes. Well, I'll, I'll
1: give you a list for sure. All right, man. Have a great night. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to the show. Yeah, thanks, man. Cool. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Very big thanks again for the supporters of this episode. That's Tyler Stiegel and Jeremy Lebrun. Thank you guys so much for your support. Anyone else who would like to support an episode, you should go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and that will tell you everything you need to know. If you'd like to get a hold of me, that's Picky fingers banjo podcast at gmail.com and hope to hear from you soon and hope to see you next time for the next episode. Everyone take care.